Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning? Are you good? It's good. It's good to have everybody here this morning, and I do ask that you be in prayer for Bill and for Shannon, for Billy and the entire Ramsey family uh, this weekend. Be, be with them. Lift them up, because uh, if any of you have lost loved ones, you know that the anniversary of uh, that loved one's homegoing is always hard, so they are spending time with each other, which is a, it's a very good thing, and then they'll all be back next uh, weekend to be with us again, but just lift them up through this time. I also want you to be in prayer for all of those families who have lost loved ones in service of our country. This is uh, the Memorial Day weekend. This is where we look back and we remember those brave men and women who gave their lives so that we could have the freedoms that we have. And so as you gather with uh, your families on the holiday, remember those, those people that are gathering with their families without their loved ones who died in service so that we could live in this great country. And I also just want to recognize all of you that have served or are presently serving in our uh, armed services right now. In fact, I'd love for you to stand. If you're here today and you've served or you're presently serving, would you stand? Because we'd love to thank you for your service. Which... We appreciate all that you have done for us. And you do the same online. If you're watching and, and you've served or presently serving, let us know that. Put the branch of the service that you're in because uh, we want to thank you for your service. In fact, why don't you clap for everybody who's watching online as well. That's it. My dad is, is a retired Air Force, so I understand uh, your sacrifice. John 15, 13 says, No greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And what Jesus was saying, the greatest thing that any of us could ever do is sacrifice for somebody else. And that's what we're gonna talk about today as we continue our series, Transform. Now, if you haven't been here, this whole series has been about how God wants to transform us into the image of his son. That when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we're changed, we're different. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that the old is gone, the new is here. You're a new creation in Christ. But what you need to understand is the change is on the inside. The change is you now have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's when God starts the process of taking what's in you and having it come out of you. But here's the thing. We've got to cooperate. That we've got to go along with what God is doing. That's why we've talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the fact that if we're going to transform, that we need to offer ourselves every day as a living sacrifice. That means we need to say it's not about what we want to do. It's about what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And when we listen to the Holy Spirit in us, what comes out of us is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And what is that? Galatians 5, and 23. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what comes out of it. This is the very nature of who God is. And as we surrender, what happens, we are being transformed into the image of His Son. So if you missed any of the previous weeks, Make sure you go to metchurch.com or metchurch.online and, and watch because Bill's been doing an amazing, amazing job of showing us what a transformed life actually looks like. And so today, as we continue this series, I'm going to talk to you about goodness. I'm going to talk to you about being good. We all know the difference between right and wrong, and being good just means you're going to do the right thing, 
That's what we're going to do. We're going to do the right thing. And you heard Bill say this, that sometimes people change the word goodness for the word godliness, because after all, God is good. God is good all the time. Psalm 100 says God is good. The whole Bible's full of the goodness of God. That's who he is. But now what you need to understand is God is not good because he does good things, okay? Because you and I can do good things, but then we can do some not so good things, right? But God is good because he only does good things. Everything God does is good. So as we surrender to him, it's his goodness that comes out of us, that all we do is good. So basically, we're doing what God would do. Y'all remember those, those bracelets, the WWJD bracelets? You remember those? What would Jesus do? Anybody have those? Everybody used to wear that kind of thing? That was out there? That's it? Last night, I had to bring this up, and somebody raised up and goes, I still got mine on. And I was going, this is awesome. I thought they went out of style. I mean, it was back in the day. You had to have it. You got saved. You got baptized. You got a bracelet. I mean, that was kind of all part of the kit, right? It was all about showing everybody, now, now it's not about me anymore. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm going to do what Jesus would do. And this is what we're talking about. I'm doing what Jesus would do. But let's face it, it was a lot easier wearing the bracelet than actually doing what Jesus would do. And that's why we have to surrender. Because the goodness of God means that we do good no matter what. That we do good even when it's not convenient. That we do good even when nobody's looking. That we do good even when it's not easy. That we do good even when it costs us something. And we do good even when it means we have to sacrifice for somebody else. And that's what Jesus was talking about in Luke 10. He was talking to, to the Israelites, and he was saying that, that, that you need to rethink how you think of what being good is all about. See, up to that point, they were under the old covenant, the old law, and they thought that being good just means being obedient. That, that God's given us a bunch of rules. If I obey the rules, then I'm good. God's going to think I'm good, and I'm right with God. And that's how it goes. It doesn't matter what I do to anybody else. It's all about keeping the law. If I keep the law and, and, and I do the, the right thing, then I'm good and everything's right. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, I'm here to set up a new, test, a new covenant with you. And it's not between God and the nation of Israel. It's between God and the entire world. And what I'm going to do on the cross is I'm going to satisfy the law. I'm going to satisfy the vertical between you and God. Now it's between you and everybody else. It's the horizontal. And it's all about what you're willing to do for somebody else. What are you willing to do for somebody else? And in Luke 10, Jesus tells the story of what actually being good looks like. And it's a story I think all of you have heard before. And if you don't know the story, I haven't heard the story, you've heard about the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan the good Samaritan, because it was the goodness of God that was coming out. And this is what Jesus wanted us to do. It's amazing. Here's a story that, was, that Jesus talked about over 2,000 years ago. And now there's probably no place you can go in the world that people haven't heard this story. If somebody says, hey, that's a good Samaritan, you know exactly what they're talking about, right? You know exactly what they're saying at this point, that it's a good Samaritan. And Jesus was one who brought the whole thing up. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, and, and we're going to go through the whole story of the Good Samaritan so that we understand the goodness of God. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke 10, and we're going to start in verse 25, and this is what he says. He says, on one occasion, meaning that there was more than just this one time, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up 
to test Jesus. Now remember, when Jesus was doing his ministry, he was traveling around and everywhere he went, he was talking to people and people were gathering around him. They loved to hear what Jesus had to say, what he loved to, he wanted to hear what he was preaching, what he was teaching. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. But even though he had these huge crowds around him, he always would have people who weren't actually for Jesus. He was always, in the crowd, there would be Pharisees, there would be these teachers of the law. And what they were trying to do is trip him up. They were trying to test Jesus. They were trying to get Jesus to say something that went against all of their teaching so that the people would turn against him. Because they thought if they could get Jesus to say something that wasn't in the scriptures, wasn't, wasn't what they were used to uh, hearing, that they would no longer put their faith and trust in Jesus. They'd leave him alone. They'd get rid of Jesus once and for all. So this was another occasion. Jesus is teaching to the people. And this expert, he stands up. And he asks Jesus a question. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a great question. If, if you don't know the answer to that question, that's something we should all be asking. So it's a great question that everybody needs to hear. What do we need to do to have eternal life? But here's the thing. Jesus knew that wasn't his question. That was a setup to the next question, which he was trying to test him. So instead of answering the question, he looked back at the expert and he says, well, what is written in the law? I mean, you're the expert of the law. He said, what is written? He says, how do you read it? Why don't you tell us what we need to do to have eternal life, and then we'll all know. So you go ahead. So he put it back on him. Well, the expert starts to speak in front of all the people, and he starts to recite something that basically every Jewish boy and girl learned when they were just so little, and they learned to, to memorize this because this was all about being good, being right with God. And he starts to, write, to, to recite Deuteronomy 6.5. And this is what he says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This is what it was written, that this is how that we have eternal life. This is how we're good with God, is that we do this. We love God with all that we have. And then he added something. He added to what was written. He said, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's so remarkable about him saying this is the fact, remember I told you on one occasion. Well, on another occasion, if you look in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies with Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said well, that was the greatest thing that we could do. And it was Jesus who added, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we don't know if this expert was there when Jesus said it the first time. We don't know what was going on, but you know, all the people were thinking, man, Jesus kind of changed what it is because that's not written in Deuteronomy 6 to love your neighbors yourself. But what Jesus was doing was setting up the fact that it's not just about the vertical, but it's also about the horizontal. That if you don't love who God loves, you're not really loving God. And he was just setting this thing up there. Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying that you have to love your neighbors yourself. Now, when Jesus first said it back there in, in Matthew 22, this wasn't something that was foreign they hadn't heard before, okay? This was part of it. They just hadn't heard it in that context. Because in Leviticus 19, which again, in the old, old scriptures, in 1918, it says this. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So they've all heard this. But notice what it says. It says, among your people. The Jewish people thought that their neighbor was another Jew. 
that if they were going to be nice or, or, or be loving to somebody else, it just meant to another Jew. It didn't mean the entire world. And Jesus said, no, I'm changing everything. It's not about just you and the God and the nation of Israel. I'm, I'm coming because God is now making a covenant with the entire world. So this is what Jesus is setting up with going forward. And this is where the expert was trying to trip Jesus up. Well, when Jesus hears him say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself, Jesus says, hey, you answered correctly. That's exactly right. He says, do this and you're going to live. You're going to have eternal life. That's what it's all about. Now, think about this when Jesus is bringing this up. Do we really ever know if somebody's loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do we ever know that? But we see if somebody's loving their neighbor as themselves. We see that. And what Jesus is trying to set up for all of us is to realize that if you're going to love your neighbors yourself, then you have the love of God in your heart because you wouldn't be doing this if God wasn't here. And that's why he's combining this. So he's telling this. Well, then it says this, this expert of the law, he turned, he said, to justify himself, he asked Jesus this. And this was the twist. This is what Jesus knew was coming. He said, who is my neighbor? Because this expert knew what the, the old law talked about. It knew, he knew what it said in Leviticus and what he's saying that his neighbor was a fellow Jew. And so he's putting Jesus on the spot because if Jesus said anything other than another Jew, then all of a sudden these people go, well, where'd you get that from? We haven't heard this before. And so he's putting Jesus on the spot, hoping that Jesus would say something that would turn this crowd against him. But again, Jesus was too smart. So instead of answering, what he does is he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is what he says. He says in verse 30, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, what's so great about when Jesus tells a story, he always tells a story that everybody can relate to, that everybody can kind of see this. They have this word picture. They can see the whole thing playing out in their mind. And everybody understood that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very dangerous road. It was about 18 miles long, and it was very, very steep, very, very treacherous. That Jerusalem sits about 2,500 feet above sea level, and Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. So it's a very steep, uh, dangerous road, very, very, very rocky place. So that it was easy for robbers to hide behind and ambush people. So they all understood what Jesus was talking about. That they all saw the picture. In fact, probably most of them in there probably had heard of somebody who had been robbed on this road, or or they actually knew somebody had been robbed on it. So, so Jesus has drawn them all in to hear this story when he's telling this. And he said, this guy was attacked and he said, they stripped him of his clothes. Well, of course they stripped him of his clothes because clothes were very valuable. It was like currency. So if you're going to rob somebody, you're going to take his clothes because they're, they're worth something. So they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So they got everything they wanted out of this man and left him there to die. That's what Jesus is saying. This guy, he's there and he's just waiting to die. And then all of a sudden he introduced this. He says, he said, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He did nothing. And then Jesus said, and so too a Levite. When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, you might be asking, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? It's very simple. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. 
But if you're a Levite who's not a priest, you're an expert of the law. So what is so great about what Jesus is doing right there? He is putting in this expert in his story. The very guy that's questioning him, he's bringing him into the story. So he's put in there. And what happens is everybody that's hearing this is going, wait a minute. These two people have gone against Leviticus. They're not helping their neighbor. They've seen him. They're not doing what they should be doing. These two have passed this guy by, left him there to die. Well, then Jesus adds a third person. He says, but a Samaritan. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, what you need to realize is Jews and Samaritans don't get along. Okay, and it's actually worse than that. I mean, it's not that they don't get along, they can't stand each other, okay? It's, it's like even worse than this, than like an institutionalized racism. I mean, this is like apartheid. We are totally separate. We have absolutely nothing to do. They think there's something wrong with each other. So we don't touch them, we don't talk to them, we don't look the road they're on, we don't do anything for these people. That's what these, these two people have grown up thinking, the Jews and the Samaritans. They're totally separate. Well, Jesus brings the Samaritan in. Now, you also have to need, in this crowd, you need to realize in this crowd, probably most of the people, when Jesus started his story and said a man was robbed, probably thought it was the Samaritan who did it because after all, they're awful. It was probably him. It was probably a Samaritan who did this because that's where the thinking was. But Jesus said a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where he saw where the man was and saw him, and he took pity on him. Now, there had to be a gasp that came over the crowd. What? <laughs> this is the guy who would normally rob this person. He's taking pity on him? The priest passed by, the Levite passed by, but the Samaritan is actually taking care of this guy? What's going on? And he says, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. I mean, he touched him? We don't touch him. We stay as far away from, from Samaritans as possible. How would he touch a Jew? How would he take care of a Jew? And then it says... That he brought him, um, that he put him, the man on his own donkey. So not only did he touch him, take care of him, he sacrificed himself. He had been riding his donkey. He now puts him on and he walks the rest of the way. So this man could ride because he was, he was hurt. He needed help. And he said he took him to an inn and he took care of him. He was doing everything he needed to make sure this man was okay. And it says the next day he took two denarii, which is money. And he gave him to the innkeeper. So he was at this inn and he gave him to the innkeeper. And he said, he said, look after him. He said, look after him. And when I return, because I'm coming back. So what we know is that, that this Samaritan went out of his way. He was obviously going to do something. But what happens, he sees this man and he says, you know what? I've got to take care of him. So he goes and takes care of him. When he knows he's okay and he has somebody else that's going to be watching him, that's when he goes and does what he needs to do. But he says, I'm coming back. I'm not only coming back but I'm going to reimburse you for anything that you incurred by trying to take care of this man. Well, you know, everybody in the audience was just stunned hearing this. And so after Jesus said this, he looks at the expert of the law and he does to him what he thought he was doing to Jesus. And I can just see it now. He probably looked at him straight in the eye and he said, which of these three which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these was a neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of the robber? Which one? And he says, the one. 
He couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. You know, he was biting his lip the whole time he was saying it. He said, the one who had mercy on him. And I think Jesus kind of smiled and said, you thought you had me. But I just showed you the goodness of God. And he said, go and do likewise. That's what it looks like when the goodness of God comes out of us. And what you have to realize, it wasn't long after that, that Jesus went to the cross where he became a neighbor to the entire world. Because Jesus saw the need and he met it. He knew the price and he paid it. And he didn't let anything talk him out of doing it. And that's what he wants us to do. That's the goodness of God, is seeing the need and meeting it, knowing the price and paying it, and not letting anybody talk you out of it. See, in this world, there are going to be people who beat you up. There's going to be people who pass you up. And then there's going to be people who lift you up. Y'all ever felt beat up by people? You ever felt beat up by people? I think we've all been there. And in that state of being beat up, do you feel like there was people who just passed you up? But did you have somebody in that moment actually lift you up? You'll never forget those people. You'll never forget those people who lifted you up because they changed your life. That's what the Samaritan was doing to that man who was beaten. He was changing his life. Everybody else was leaving there to die, but he was changing that man's life. And that's what the goodness of God is all about. It's lifting people up. It's doing good for others. It's making a difference. And if we're going to do that, there's three things that we're going to have to do that we find in this story. And the first thing that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to transform the way we see people. That's what Jesus was trying to do when he was talking about this, when he's using the story. Because again, they were all used to going, well, we'll help somebody who's like us if we have time. We'll, we'll help somebody who, who's the same faith as us. But we're not going outside of the faith. We're not going outside of, 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 of somebody that doesn't like us, that's, that's against us. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. Jesus said this in Matthew 5 when he was... When he was um, given the servant on the mountain. He said this. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your father in heaven. He's saying, this is what it looks like, y'all. He said, it's about the need. It's not about whether you like them or not. He said, anybody can love people who love them back. Anybody can do something for somebody that they know that they're going to get paid back for doing it. He goes, no, no, no. This is all about you doing something for somebody who can't do anything for, back for you or who doesn't even like you. We don't know what happened to those two. We don't know that after the, 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 the Jewish man was, was nursed back to health, if all of a sudden they became best friends. We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know if they went back to hating each other. But see, the point, what Jesus was trying to make, it wasn't, wasn't the idea of trying to pick and choose. It was seeing the need and meeting the need. That's the goodness of God. That's what he did for you. If you go to Romans 5.10, it talks about the fact that you and I, before we were Christ followers, we were enemies of God. 
But what did God do? He sent his son. What did Jesus do? He died on the cross, even while we were enemies, so that we could reconcile, so that we could have eternity with him. And this is what Jesus is talking about. That's how we need to see people. Galatians 6.10, it says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, whether they're like us or not like us, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's good to everybody. Jesus in Matthew 25, he, he talks about a time that we'll all face a judgment. We'll all face an account of, of what we did and didn't do. And, and when he's telling this story in Matthew 25, he talks about taking the people and he separates them into the sheep and the goats. And the sheep were going to in inherit the kingdom of God and the goats were not going to. And, and when he separates them, he looks at the sheep and he said, that you're having the kingdom of, of heaven because of the fact that you saw me when I was hungry and you fed me. You saw me when I was thirsty and you gave me water. You saw me when I was naked and you clothed me. You saw me when I was sick and you healed me. And so the kingdom of heaven is yours. And he looked at the goats and he said, you saw me in all these things and did absolutely nothing for me. That's why you will not be with in the kingdom. And they both looked at him at the same time when they were going through this, and they said, when? When did we see you like that, Jesus? We never saw you in this place. And Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Horizontal morality. That you love God by loving who God loves. The goodness of God is loving all people, whether they love you back or not. And you have to see people that way if you're going to have the goodness of God coming out of you. Second thing that you have to do is you got to transform how you see possessions. The greatest thing about this story is the fact that this, this Samaritan sacrificed for this Jewish person. He used his own money, remember? He went and, and he paid to be in the inn, and then he paid the innkeeper for, uh, money to take care of him and anything else. He was realizing that the, what he had, he had to use to help somebody else. And you've got to transform the way you see possessions. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. He was saying, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, what happens is most of you just tune out right at this point because you're already saying, well, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. Because ever, after all, let's face it, no matter how much we have, we always know somebody who has more than we do, right? Somebody always has more money than we do. So, that, so we're not rich, that person's rich. And that person's saying, well, no, I'm not rich, but that person is. But what Paul is talking about here, he's saying that you are rich, that after you take care of your necessities, you take care of the necessities of what you need to live. If you've got money left over to go to Starbucks, if you've got money left over to go out to eat, if you've got money left over to go on vacation, if you've got money left over to buy something new, you're rich. That's what he's saying. You are rich because you have leftovers. And he says, command those who are rich not to be arrogant, because that's what happens most of the time when you think of somebody as rich, you always think they're arrogant, right? And that's what he said. Don't let them be arrogant or put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. What God is saying, guess what, guys? Everything you have is mine. I have blessed you with. And just as I have blessed you with it, I can just as easily take that blessing away. And so don't count on that. He said, what? But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, let me put this back here and read that last bit. He provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is not saying it's a bad thing to be rich. Okay, let me put that. 
because he has blessed you with it and he wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to enjoy what you have. So he wants you to be able to go to Starbucks. He wants you to be able to go out to eat. He wants you to be able to go on vacation. He wants you to be able to buy new stuff. But he also wants you to have your eyes open to the needs that are going on around you. That's why he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's all he's saying. When you see a need, meet the need. When you see a price, pay the price. Because you can do something that can change somebody's life. You can lift them up. And he says, this is why you should do it. Because in the same way, they will lay treasures for themselves as a firm foundation of the coming age. He's saying, what you do with what you have here is what's going to be there to meet you for all eternity. He says, so don't be selfish here. Because what you do here is going to bless you for all eternity. That's what we do as a church, y'all. Everything that we have, everything that you're enjoying is all a part of the church. Is all because of the people that come to this church that get it. They know exactly what it is. They, they know that they need to, to bring their tithe. And notice how I said bring your tithe. Because the way that God set it up is that, that 100% of what you get is his. But he only says, I want 10% back. But 10% is mine. I'm going to let you have the 90. So you don't give your tithe because the tithe is not yours. He says the first 10 of everything is mine. So you, you bring your tithe. What you give is your offering. This is over and above. So that's out of your excess of what taking on. And that's why we have what we have. But we do the same things as a church. It's the fact that when we go in, once we've taken care of all that we have to do to pull off what we have to do to minister, the rest goes out. That's why we have the food pantry. That's why we started up Help Out Center. That's why we've given out uh, well over $2 million worth of food. That's why we're building a brand new building. That's why we've taken care of last month over 1,000 people. And that's all because of the people in this church that get it. They've transformed how they see possessions. And if you're not there yet, it's time. As Amber says, it's easy to give. We've made it easy and safe. Get on your phone. Be a part. Transform how you see, because that's the goodness of God. Because one, everything you give here is going to help somebody else. That's what we do. That is what this church is about. And then finally, transform how you see priorities. Transform how you see priorities. The Samaritan made that man that was left for dead, his priority. He made him his priority. The priest and the Levite didn't. Now, we don't know why. We don't know in the story why they passed by. We don't know if they, when they saw this man laying there, thought, mm, I know who he is. He deserved to get beat up. We don't know if that was their thinking. That's why they left him there. He was a bad guy. He, he deserved everything to get. We don't know if that was their thinking. We don't know if they saw him laying there and they started getting scared for themselves, thinking, well, well wait a minute. If somebody did that to him, they might be still be be around here and they might be doing that to me. So I'm just going to get out of here. They might have, they might have saw him and thought, man, that's awful that happened to him, but I got an appointment and I got to, I, I've, I've got to go. I hope somebody else takes care of this guy. I don't want to be in here, but I don't have time. And they might have looked at him and said, you know what? That's awful, but I'm minding my business. I'm just doing my own thing. And we all have that. We can all have excuses of why we won't do something for somebody else. But it's saying we have to transform our priorities. He made him a priority. He got him settled. 
Then he did what he had to do, but what did he do? He came back. That's the goodness of God. That is what God is calling us to. Paul said this in Philippians 2. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. If you're here today, if you're watching online and you're not a Christ follower, guess what? You're our priority. You are our priority. Everything we do, everything that we're doing here is because we want you to see the goodness of God. We want you to know Christ. But here, I want to tell you something, that when you accept Christ, it's not about you anymore. It's about the you next to you who doesn't know Christ. That's what Jesus was telling us, that we need to bring Christ followers. That's why we actually tell you, he said, bring somebody with you. Bring your lost friends. Bring your lost neighbors. It changes the way you sit in this message. When you know that the person sitting next to you might hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and accept it. I met a couple, and they're in this room right here, that they did it to their neighbors this last week, and they accepted Christ, and they are in this room right now. I don't know where you are, but I met you before, but I know you're here, hearing the story. It was an incredible story to tell me. This just happened right in the atrium before this came out for this service. They got it. They made sharing Christ a priority. That's what this is all about. It's so easy for us as Christians to turn inward. We already saved. We don't need to worry about anybody else. Just keep filling me up. That's all I want. No, we come here to get filled up so we go out and change somebody else's life. Bill talked about this in the beginning of this series when we were talking about joy. And he used the acrostic and he said that it was all about priorities. Joy, Jesus, others, you. If you get that out of whack, you're not going to have the joy of Christ in your life. you got to change your priorities. It's about seeing other people saved. I want to leave you with a, a story. It was a story that took place back in, in the first century, and it was in Egypt, in a place called Thebes, and it, was, uh, it was, uh, involved a guy by the name of Pahomius, and he was uh, 20 years old at the time. He grew up with pagan parents. He didn't have any relationship with God whatsoever. And the Romans were the world power still at that time. And they'd come through Egypt. And as what they would do is they would get all the fighting men of a certain age. And they would actually recruit them to be a part of the Roman legion. And when I say recruit, they would actually capture them, put them in prison until they could ship them back to, to Rome to teach them how to fight and then put them in the legion. And that's what happened to him. He was, he was taken by the Roman soldiers and he was put in prison. Well, while he was there waiting to be carted off to Rome, a famine went over all of Egypt. It was a famine, and people were dying and starving to death. And the last people that the Romans were thinking about keeping alive were the prisoners. Well, what happened is a group of Christians, every afternoon and every evening, would go to where they were, and they would stick food through the prison bars. And they fed them to keep them alive. And Bohemius is thinking, who are these people? And why are they doing this for us? I'm glad they're doing it for us, but I can't believe these people are sacrificing for us. There's no food anywhere. And these people every single day without fail are coming and giving us food to keep us alive. And that's what they did. Well, he survived and he's, he's carted back to Rome and he becomes part of the, the Roman legion. And after his time was done, what he does, he actually comes back home and he seeks these people out and he finds out that they're Christians 
and he gives his heart to Christ. And not only does he give his heart to Christ, he ends up being the leader of the church in that area. And he lives his whole life trying to share the goodness of God to everybody he meets. And thousands upon thousands of people were changed because he received the goodness of God from these Christians. And he extended it. That's why he's called um, uh, Pahomius the Great or, or, or St. Pahomius. And you can look him up, get on Wikipedia. He's in there. It's kind of a weird title. It's like P-A-C-H-O something. I don't know. I can't spell it, but I just know his name. Anyway, <laughs> this, is, this is a true story. And it was all because a group of Christians saw the need and met it, knew the price and paid it, and didn't let anything talk them out of it. That's the goodness of God. Jesus modeled it on the cross, and he wants us to do it in our daily lives. He's saying, let your light shine. Do good things. So what? They see your Father in heaven. Letting the goodness of God come out of your life will not only change you, but it will change the you next to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your love for us. Your love and goodness caused you to send us your Son to give us your son. It was Christ's goodness that heaven give his life. And because you've sacrificed for us, God, we want to be people that sacrifice for you and for others, for the people you do love. So God, just change our hearts. Change the way we see people. Change the way that we see what we have. Change the way that, that uh, we see our calendars. Help us to make your priorities, our priorities. Help us to make a difference in this world, God. Help us to leave this place with the mindset that I'm going to have my eyes open and see how I can make a difference in somebody else's life. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you haven't entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no accident you're here. This is, God has made it a divine appointment with you. He has you here to hear this message, to hear this talk so that you understand the love that he has for you and how he wants the best for you and what he did for you. And he's saying, it's time to open up your heart to me. If that's you and, and you're ready to open up your heart, just where you're at, just say, God, I now get it. I get it. I've, I've lived in this world, and I've been beat up. I've been passed up, and now I see you want to lift me up. That you saw the, the price of my sin, and you paid it. That you died on the cross for my sins, and so now I want to turn away from my sins, and I want to turn to you, and I want to put my faith and my trust in you. I believe in you. I give you my life. If that's you and you've done that, welcome to the family. And God says, now I'm ready to transform you. I'm ready to take what I've just put inside you and have it come out of you. And it's the greatest thing you could ever do to feel his love 
his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control coming out of us. And as you walk in his ways, you're going to change somebody else's life. And that's our prayer, that we change lives, God. We thank you for all you do. We love and praise you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.